There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome aboard, Earthlings. Welcome back. Yes, I hope your travel with us so far has been enjoyable. Yes, we are here at One Meteor Strike Part 2. That's right, baby. Welcome back, Mom. Happy to be here, ladies. Thanks for coming back. How did we coerce you back on the couch? We didn't really give her a choice. For those of you that weren't here last week, we started to get into the incredible story of how, Sheena, you were uh, wrongfully convicted to a federal prison. And I got to say, from my perspective here, you know, not only reliving the details of the actual case, but the emotional components that went into it, I feel like not a lot of people think of, and it's something that happens very, very often. So I know that we left off right when you were self-surrendered and you were about to enter prison. So... You know, you take it away and 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 let's do it. Let's open, open the storybook once again. <laughs> let's open Pandora's box. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> okay, mom. So you arrived to the facility. I did. That was on July 11th of 2012, to okay. be exact. And then what happened? It's a compound. It was about an hour away from Orlando, FCC Coleman. That was the facility. It's a camp. And I remember arriving there and just sitting in the car looking at this massive building. It's a camp? I'm sorry. What does that mean? Is it like Orange is the New Black? It's somewhat like Orange is the New Black (laughs) with a twist. So what's the difference between a camp and a regular prison? So prisons have many different levels. And I was at a camp because it's for, it's a minimum security prison. 
it's a camp. It's more of an open ground. There are no bars. And this is an opportunity for people like myself who are first time offenders. Some are also repeated offenders where there's no real, uh, the charges are not for criminal offenses such as murder or anything of the sort. Non-violent Non-violent crimes. Got it. Okay, mom, so you self-surrender at the prison, and then what happens? And then upon entering, this is where the process begins. And the first thing is they bring me into a room and ask me to undress and put my clothes to the side, and following that, we get the cavity check. This is where it's like spread your legs and split your butt cheeks time. That's crazy. It was because it was very dehumanizing. Even though it was a female guard, it, it still is dehumanizing to be in that situation. I was just happy that I didn't have my period. So no tampon was. Oh, gosh. Lord. I can't and, even and imagine, imagine how many people are in that situation. And there is because several women, as they're entering into the facility, this is a camp, they share this with us. They say, oh, my God, I had my period. It was so embarrassing. This was just such a disappointing moment okay so they process you they do the dehumanizing cavity check and then what happened and then i'm escorted by two of the inmates into the actual facility so there there's this yard area and then there are two buildings and these buildings were f1 f2 f3 f4 so it's just two buildings they're two level buildings and I was uh, serving my time. I was going to spend my time at F4, remember. That was the on the second floor of one of the buildings. So they bring me into the building. And upon entering this building, <laughs> I remember it, it. it's something like out of a movie. It's almost as if I had stepped out of my reality into this completely different reality. Almost like a paradigm shift of sorts. There was a lot of sound, a lot of noises. Imagine the compound itself was built for 250 women and we were 645 women. Wow. How so talk that? about overcrowded, uh. overcrowded. Right? Then again, mass incarceration. We are number one in the world for mass incarceration. So it's not surprising. How not can they get away with that? Well, you got to remember that prison is built on two principles, profit and punishment. Yeah. And particularly in prison, in terms of federal prisons, as the one that I, I was uh, appointed to, that is a for-profit prison. It's a corporation. Right. Investors, privately people, owned, Privately owned prisons, yes. Hmm. They're funded by the government. I think that this was a, a big like <gasps> moment for me when I was learning about this as my journey through the American justice system was quite uh, an interesting one. And correct me if I'm wrong, but... The government pays privately owned federal prisons around 30000 a little more, 30000 a head. So it depends by state. In the state of Florida, it's roughly between thirty two to 35000 per inmate. Per year. Per year. Wow. Yes. This is based on a budget. If you look at states such as California and New York, we're talking about 70000 plus per inmate per year. And this is where we learn that Prisoners are a commodity. Wow. Yeah. That is truly what they are. Wow. See, a lot of people have a misconception of what it's like in there. Um, and you can start to tell us, you know, I've seen people argue online or 
make jokes or even memes circulate where people are like, oh, you know, I want to go to prison. It's a walk in a park. You get free <laughs> health care, free education, free meals. Free cable. Free all <laughs> these things. <And> that- <laughs> Listen, I also share that view, uh, my perception of prison, because that was not my world. No pun intended. <laughs> Yay. Right. <laughs> I thought that if you went to prison, you're a criminal. You're a delinquent. You're there to serve time. Yeah, and you did think that going to prison was a walk in the park, that you had all of these amenities available to you? I wouldn't say walk in the park. I mean, look at the movies, right? You see all these different series going on, and it's not a walk in the park. That was not necessarily my my exact perception of prison, but I thought, well, I mean, you do the crime, you do the time. You thought that, oh, those people deserve it. You know, it's not like they're torturing them. Etc. I don't know like so that. much about deserve. It was more like this They've is earned it. This is the way it is. This is the system. And I'll tell you what, something that a lot of people don't understand is that one in three people in America have some type of criminal conviction. One in three. What? That means 70 million Americans have been in the system. If we really want to deep dive into the stats, right? Into the data, then we have to think about 6.6 million have been convicted of some type of crime. That means from the 6.6, 2.1 million are actually serving time right now, currently. This is the most recent data in prison or jail. And 4.5 of that 6.6 are either doing probation or parole. Wow. And these are men, women, sisters, brothers, uncles, mothers. Daughters. A lot of people. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So yeah, uh, prisons are for profit. We've got that covered. We know. We know that. Um, so let's get back to your story. Where are we at this point? So you walked in. You know, they dehumanized you. They made you. They checked all your cavities and everything. You walk in. You feel like, oh my gosh, I'm in a movie, right? Like this is unreal. What was going through your mind at that point? It was like an out-of-body experience for me. If I can sum it up in, in just one word, I felt dismantled. I think dismantling is appropriate and how I felt internally. I felt robbed at that moment, not just because my freedom had been taken away from me and all of my rights, as we all know, but I felt robbed. I felt robbed. I felt I had no voice. That to me was very important. And I felt like I was a really small, very small person in a very large situation. <laughs> Are you worried to say pond and fish because of what happened last time? <laughs> Can I ask you something? Did you ever feel mad at yourself? I was mad at myself. I was mad at God. And, mm. and I've always had a very spiritual connection with my beliefs. I don't really identify with any particular religion, even though I've studied religion for many years, many different types of religions, but I identify more with spirituality. And at that moment, there was this, there was this pain. There was a gap between my beliefs, what was going on and everything that was happening around me. So there was a big disconnect. I was angry. I was angry at God. I was. You never had any thought of like, why did I plead guilty? Why did I do this? You were just like, all right, I'm here. You accepted it. That was it. At first, at first, I think the ego 
is always on the driver's seat, especially when we tend to victimize ourselves. And I'm very familiar with that, not only in my own personal experiences, but in the work that I've always done, where I know that the ego tends to get in the way of, of each and every one of us. And my ego wanted to speak. I couldn't speak up. I couldn't fend for myself, but my ego wanted to. So absolutely, I remember falling into sort of this victimhood of why me? And, and this is the part that's really crazy. And it's almost, I'm almost ashamed to say this, but I want to be vulnerable and share this. Thank you. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be the only innocent person in that entire place. Oh my God. Uh. I'm going to prison with a bunch of criminals. Right. Because you walked in God. there thinking that. I'm going to be the only innocent person. Uh. I don't belong there. That's what the ego does. And I'm assuming that you met some innocent people. So definitely I met some women who, who had been sentenced to 20 year sentences because unlike myself who decided to take the plea, these are women who wanted to go to trial and fight. Right. And I admire them for that. Yeah. So I'll tell you what we used to call prison, the cemetery of the living. Wow. Because it's Groundhog Day every day. Wow. Every single day is the same thing. You wake up to the same thing. How was your first day? So my first day was scary. I was afraid. I wasn't afraid for what could happen to me physically. I was afraid that I wouldn't adapt to that environment. I'm telling you, my ego, my ego was like, I am superior. <laughs> In the way that I wasn't used to that world. I wasn't used to that type of environment. I didn't know if I could adapt. So it was, it was not comforting. However. Did anybody comfort you? Did anyone come yes, up to you? Yes, Griselda. Griselda was. Are you no, no, kidding no, 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 no. me? <laughs> All right, no, out. that's enough. Listen. <laughs> the first day? The first person that approached me was Griselda. She came what? and she brought me a blanket. Because it's so cold in there. It's freezing in there, guys. <laughs> you can't imagine how, how cold it is. So she brought me a blanket to keep myself warm at night. Why did, why did Griselda give you a blanket? Did they not give you a blanket? Yes, but it's so cold in there. And, and the things that they provide you with are so minimal. So what is it they, they give you? What kind of supplies do you receive upon arriving? Your uniform. Your uniform, which is pretty much used when you have a visitor, when someone's visiting you on the weekend. Okay. It's kind of this military style. Uh, I think they look would, like scrubs. And you would totally dig it. Oh my God. Have you a rocket? Have you a rocket? It looked like scrubs. I don't know. Like, it was more like military. Well, okay. And then what else? What, what, what other things? Like toothbrush, toothpaste. Like what do they give you? What are the essentials? Yes. They, they do provide you with that. However, you do have the option to purchase some of these things that are a little more upgraded in terms of branding in commissary, which they, are extremely expensive, by the way. Like Pantene was six bucks. Oh, right. Pantene. Of course, they upcharge you because it's not enough to have you in there. They want to make money off of you. And how does somebody in prison have money to buy shampoo? Sure. So one of two ways. Because these camps were designed as working camps, we all had to work. That's, that's important. You need to work. What do you mean work? Like yeah. you were obligated to have to a find job. a job. You were, I, my first job before I got fired was oh, at the gym. Oh, 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 oh <laughs> you oh, got fired? Oh, oh. Yeah. You I got was, fired in prison? Girl. I did. <laughs> Listen, I was meant to be an entrepreneur and not to work for anybody. Oh, <laughs> I no. say this right here. <laughs> okay? Oh, no. I was working as an orderly, which an orderly is pretty much the person who cleans the gym. 
And I decided to take that job because I thought it was really easy. I wasn't going to have the guard watching over me, micromanaging me. It was kind of like a very liberal job where I would have to go into the gym, grab all of my cleaning products, which translates into soap and water. You're wow. not allowed to have any chemicals in prison. Okay. Yeah, because you can kill someone. Or you can use it for, you know, to get high and whatnot. So I had to clean the gym. So I had this system going on with my friends where I would leave everything set up like I was cleaning <laughs> and I would go into the yard with all my friends, <laughs> hang out, walk, exercise. I took exercise <laughs> very serious. Oh my God, mom. And then I would go back, move things around again, make it look like, oh, she's here. She's cleaning. I don't know where. But so she's the cleaning. gym was disgusting. <laughs> so the gym sucked because of you. Needless to say, those who were there, you should not have been using the gym oh, while I worked at the <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, so you got... So, okay, so people they have to... That work. was my first job. What was and then I was fired. Did you get paid for those jobs? We did. I was a very gracious salary of six cents per hour. What? Six cents, ladies. Six cents per hour. That's and, what I got paid. And... And you, to make a phone call out to your family is how much? 25 cents a minute. So to be perfectly honest, you would have to work more than four hours to have one minute on the phone. Yes. So that's one of the ways to have money to be able to utilize it, whether it's phone calls, emails, by the way, also emails, subtract money from your commissary every time you send an email. Oh God. But there's also another way, which was family or friends they can deposit money into your account. We were only allowed $300 a month. That was sort of the cap. I never had $300 in commissary because How much? there was not enough money to deposit for me. The irony, considering that I had been obviously head of household, provider yeah. my entire life, and, and I would say we lived a pretty comfortable life. Yeah. And yet when I went to prison, because everything was gone, everything, my, my whole life was dismantled. There was no more money. And so I had to depend on whoever could deposit $25 here, $50 there, $100 here each month. So I pretty much depended on my friends. I had a um, few close friends. So when I needed ketchup, I would just go to my friend and say, hey, I don't have any ketchup. Can I have some ketchup? What do you, oh, in there. Yeah. Because I couldn't afford it in commissary. Because you have to buy ketchup? Yes. It's crazy to me because you really think that you go in there and that you have all of these things obviously offered to you um, considering that we're paying so much per person. From what you've told me, the inmates of that prison ran the prison. Yes. Uh, there were no electricians. There were no... There were... The inmates right. were electricians. If you needed the landscape to be cut, you had the inmates do that. Yeah. The in main line, which is our, the kitchen per se, right? This is where you go eat, the cafeteria. It was called main line. This, is, this was your second job, right? At main, no. Like, at the kitchen? No. Kitchen me? Oh, no. I don't know. Yeah. You would have killed someone. <laughs> I would have gotten killed in prison. <laughs> oh, no. You know me and the kitchen don't go together. So... Even though I did not work in the main line or in the kitchen area, I did have a bunkie who lived across from my cubicle who did work there. And I remember her telling me once, hey, don't ever eat the meat here. Don't eat the meat. Okay, why? Well, because the box of burgers says not for human consumption. Oh, God. 
I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there, I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura podcast network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Most of the food is expired, very high in sodium, because everything is in cans. What's an example of a meal you would get? And I remember Wednesdays was Burger Wednesday. Oof. That Not was, for human which, consumption Wednesday. Which I never ate the burger, the meat patty. I had the, the bread with the tomato and some fries. Wow, vegetarian. <laughs> Somewhat, by, <laughs> no. not by choice at no. that moment, but by force. Yeah. yeah. So we lived on a average of 1200 calories per day. Wow. We were hungry. Yeah. Wow. That's we not were, anything. That's, we were very hungry. Another really interesting thing that I learned about the medical system in prison is that everyone's file is written in pencil. Well, at least in your camp. In right? my camp. This is, again, I'm speaking for mm. FCC Coleman. Right. I remember that all of our medical records, everything was written in pencil. I remember That's that very weird. vividly. Same. Very weird. Why? I'll leave that to your imagination. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, we saw some really horrific things happen. Yeah, I, with one of the things that I've always, that I, that I haven't pushed out of my head, one of the things that I've always remembered about your experience was all of these stories that you shared with me from these women that you met in there who have had horrific experiences of varying degrees. And there's one that in particular that I would love for you to share because 
it's just it was so captivating to me when you told it to me and i don't i don't want to butcher it but it was of that the woman who um was in an abusive relationship with uh her boyfriend who was a drug dealer Mm. that woman i mean i don't even know who she is i don't know her name i've never met her before in my life but i think about her all the time her story her her brother actually documented her story and it became it was an hbo documentary wow and it actually won an award (gasps) oh wow wow yeah okay so So her story man i have to tell you at the time she was in an abusive relationship and and the boyfriend she had was a drug dealer and he he threatened her he threatened her throughout the whole relationship as a matter of fact i remember her sharing with me how she slept in a bed next to him and there was a gun underneath her pillow. She could not get away from this relationship. That option did not exist for her. And one day he was, I believe he was walking back into the house where she was at. There were other people there as well, friends of his. And he was shot. He was shot several times. It was this big situation that happened he died i'm assuming and uh and she came in i mean he came in i'm sorry and she was able to take him put him in the pickup drive to the hospital but she had no idea he had just died next to her so a few years later she's in an incredible relationship she's healed she's gotten her life back she had two children at the time small children at the time two small girls married a home a job it's her whole life had changed big shift and she was indicted she was investigated for her boyfriend's crime fact that he had been a drug dealer and because he was no longer around they had to pin it on someone and they gave her 15 years they gave her 15 years for his crime even though his friends testified and, and said she never had anything to do with this. And the contrary, she was basically a victim of an abusive relationship. She spent 15 years in prison. Uh, she, to make it even worse, she was pregnant for her, with her third child. Ugh. When this whole investigation was going on, she had her, her third baby, another girl. And she ended up going to prison. And three years after being in prison... They relocated her, which that's something, that's a whole other traumatic experience. When they decide to relocate you, and think about, think about it from the perspective of commodity, as I said earlier, right? We're commodity. She was serving time at a particular prison, and this other prison, which was Coleman, they needed to meet certain numbers because it was around that time of the budget where they're going to receive their money from the government. And so they were short. It's almost like short-staffed, short in, in prisoners, They called her prison. They needed some prisoners to come over to the prison. And they grabbed her at three in the morning. They just, they literally grab you at three in the morning. They shackle you and they'll either put you on a plane or on a bus. You have no idea where you're going. You can't ask any questions. You can't call your family. You can't call anyone. So I don't know even where you You are. You have no idea where you're going until you arrive. And she arrived in Florida, in Florida, at Coleman Camp. So Jem... Tell me, we've heard a lot from your mom. I know you were in New York and Amber was living with your dad, but did you ever visit visit her? Did you talk on the phone? How was the experience of her being uh, in there for you? So we, my mom tried to communicate mostly through email, right? More than phone calls. I feel like there were some phone calls, but not that many. 
I think that when I got to New York, I was kind of just like, well, let me just swallow this trauma and put it all behind me. Like I wanted to throw myself into what I was doing. I mean, I was a freshman in college. I was living somewhat of my dream because I had always wanted to go to New York and I always wanted to live in New York. And I think I didn't want to like think about the situation with my mom. So there was a lot of distance between us. I didn't I didn't, I didn't want to I didn't want to go there. It was too painful. It was too painful. I don't know. I I never even let myself I never even let myself analyze why I didn't let myself go there. I just distracted myself. Did anybody during that time come see you or reach so, out? So to answer that, I I did actually. So I did. I did get to visit her once or twice in there. What was it? It once was once. It, it was once. Okay, yeah, because then the second time we picked you up, I did. I, get, I did get to visit her once in there. What was that like? Oof. Uh, really emotional really emotional, crazy. My grandparents had to rent a car, poor things, they did their best, rent a car and we had to drive at the crack of dawn to sort of wait outside until they decided to let the visiting hours begin. I know in the morning when we were going to visit her, I could see her, I could see her on the window of her building, which was super emotional because it was like she was right there, but I couldn't, you couldn't, see her touch her anything yet um yeah there were some board games i think i remember we played uno i remember that <laughs> yeah i mean you just you try to like fit in as much as you can in those few hours and then when you leave when you Oof. leave it's excruciating it's excruciating because you want to take her with you yeah and you and then i leave and i have to drive like four hours you know it's not like where she was was in my city or anything like that and I lived in New York so um yeah it was terrible it was terrible how was it for you visiting I didn't have a lot of visitations during my time there which was very painful I have to be honest I did have a few and I'm extremely grateful uh, a lot of my friends did have weekly visitations but a lot of times weeks would go by and I would have no visit no visitors come see me and you know, I kind of had to fill in the day in my time because I wasn't with my friends. Right. So it was, they were with their families. They were with their families. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and my grandparents did see you more than I saw you. They, they saw did me a their best. Of times. My poor grandma, she had to pawn. And my mom actually, <laughs> I am not getting emotional this episode. I said it before I started, so don't look at me like that. <laughs> I My mom didn't know this, and she found out, babe you know, a few, literally like two years ago, my grandma's birthday, because I wanted to get my grandma some nice jewelry. And the reason why is because I knew that so my grandma could go see my mom in prison, she pawned all of her jewelry, like all of it, yeah. except for maybe like two or three emotional pieces that she felt she couldn't let go of, right. just so she could go see. Because remember, as we said in the last episode, my mom was the financial head, figurehead of our house. Right. So... When she was not working, there was no money. I everything mean, was gone. Everything was gone. Right. So, and my grandma obviously doesn't work. <laughs> um, and I did not have any money, like like Pablo Escobar, like behind right. some wall. No, I think you have uh, under a, the a little situation with Pablo Escobar. <laughs> or under the time tile. you brought him up, did you meet him in prison? <laughs> no.
I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling, and it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together, and that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate, because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me? Sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And for us, being in the inside, Visitation Day is very special. Because that weekend meant that we put makeup on. We try to look our best for our families or friends, whoever's visiting us, right? Because it's not something you do while you're there. You don't want to put makeup on. At least I didn't. Makeup. (laughs) You get your nails done. Someone always volunteers to, oh, your your so-and-so is coming this weekend to see. Oh, I'll do your nails. Where do they get nail polish? We bought it in commissary. Oh, wow. Okay. They have makeup in commissary. Of course. (laughs) So we had that opportunity. If you needed to get like your hair dyed or your roots touched up, you did that as well. Right before your family or friends visited you on the weekend. It was sort of like this was our moment to, to just share with our loved ones. And we really didn't want our family and friends to see what we were going through, the, the turmoil, because we knew that we stay there, but you guys leave. And now you take this with you. And to us, that was just too much weight. Too much weight. Yeah. Well, it worked. Because <laughs> I remember seeing you with makeup and nail polish, and I was like, huh, all right, so she's not doing so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Bitch is snatched. I eat. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, mom, there. We tried. Yeah. You try to make the best of what you have. 
what do you think was, if you can think of one moment, one experience, what was the scariest thing that you experienced while in there? It's not a violent place. It's not. And at least where you were. Right. Because I was at a camp, yeah. minimal security, nonviolent offenders. Yes, there's disputes. Yes, there was an occasional fist fight here and there. But I think for me, the scariest moment, if I'm going to be completely blunt, I remember waking up one morning and being angry that I had woken up. I wanted to die. And this is at the very beginning of this experience. I remember going to sleep the night before, praying to God that I would die in my sleep. Mom, I didn't know that. Because it is the cemetery of the living. You're, you're dead in there. And mind you, I kept a really busy schedule for myself. I, I remember asking for a calendar and I made sure that from the moment I awoke in the I think it was around five in the morning to the time that I had to be in bed for that roll call that we have. I kept myself extremely busy. I did yoga. I ran seven miles. I exercised. I meditated. I wrote. I spent so much time writing, interviewing other women, trying to understand their stories, collecting that information, asking questions. But I remember that was the scariest moment when I realized that I was in a very dark place, I remember praying, like praying, please God, I beg you. I don't want to wake up tomorrow to this. I remember I've never in my life felt that way. And, and I've worked with so many people who have attempted suicide or suicidal ideations. And I always wonder, my gosh, what, what is that like to be in that situation? And and praying that I would not wake up the next morning, that was tough. And then waking up and realizing, here I am again, another day. Why? Did it feel like it was not going to end at that point? Yes. You, it's not like in the movies where, where you count like the little lines on the wall, the brick wall, but you count. You count. Yeah. I don't blame you at all for feeling that way. I know that you say that you had entered a state of victimhood like if it was a bad thing, but you were a victim. You were failed by the system. I think at the moment when you're in that space that you're looking at everything from a very subjective level, it's easy to feel like you are a victim and that you have been failed. I think the moment that the shift in me took place and I was able to objectively look at the situation and really distance myself from it and, and sort of surrender to the circumstances and give in. I think giving in was so important and allowing things to sort of break me open. I think I needed to be broken open. I no longer felt that way. I really did not. I think that that was my awakening. That was my, my rebirth of sorts. I had, a, I had a second chance in life because up to that point, truly, I had not been living my life. Life was living me. Mm. I had a chance in there to really look back at the way that I was showing up in my business for my family, for everyone. I thought I was doing it right. I thought the way that I was doing things was how I needed to do them. But I was wrong. And I realized that in there, that was the big aha. 
So I have a question. You know, your daughter is gay. What? I know, right? I just found out yesterday. I was in shock. I was like, I thought we were just friends who did fun stuff. Um, anyway, so, you know, there's a lot of stigmas and stereotypes, too, about, you know, being a homosexual in prison. Did you? Yeah, me and my friends would make, would make bets, like, whether or not you were going to sleep with somebody in oh, there. Oh, my Gemini. Mom, it was a long time. I wouldn't have judged you. <laughs> I was already gay. Well, it, it wouldn't have been something abnormal to yeah. do so. No. A lot of women there who were married, had children, had families, considering, you know, there's such a devoid of love in there. Yeah. There is no love. Yeah. Affection. There's pain, but there's no love. And so needing that, yes, affection. Yeah. Someone to care for them. Remember that as humans, we're here to have a relationship that's interchangeable. There's a give and receive that must take place. And you don't do that in prison. Yeah. So it's very normal. But no, I didn't. To your, I did not. <laughs> no, I don't think that was the question. <laughs> If you wanted to know, mom, did that you? That was Jem's question. That was not my question. I got my answer. My question was, did You're you notice? Boring. Oh, Lord. <laughs> did you notice a difference between how maybe women that were perhaps more um, masculine presenting or, you know. Maybe were, gay. Maybe gay, right, were treated differently than women who were straight or married in there or something like that? So, like anywhere in the world, it is a big community, especially in prison. There, there were a lot of gay women in prison. And I remember one incident where some, I think it was like two in the morning, all of a sudden these men came, took them. I, I could kid you not. Like guards? Like or? took them, right? They were taken and they were sent to, uh, it's not the shoe because we don't have that in federal prison really, or at least not at the camp level, but more to, uh, they were taken to a jail a holding facility and they were placed there for several weeks as a matter of fact why for what reason because there were lesbians what because there were relationships going on there was sex going on in in the camp which again human you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to do that you're, you're not, not allowed, allowed to, to have sex no but but so you're not allowed to have sex but i'll tell you what happened oftentimes and i witnessed this we we knew about this Many of the inmates were having sex with the guards. Now, when this was discovered, guess what would happen? The guards simply were trans were transferred over to another prison, maybe to a medium or a penitentiary, a maximum security prison. So, in other words, they were taken from that camp and taken somewhere, somewhere else, right? Else. Oh my goodness. A little slap in the hand. You don't do that. The women, in the other hand, now they were transferred to Tallahassee. And in Tallahassee, here you're in prison. Like this oh. is like bars and you're with all kinds of criminals. And you have solitary. You have it violence. all. So they took the, the women away. and They and, did and, for, I remember it was about two to three weeks. We were like, what the hell just happened? It was only the lesbians. That's it. Only the, only So the, you knew, you knew. Oh, of course. Yeah. The, there were girlfriends. In yeah. The, of course. And they were taken away. And I remember when they came back. It was like all of a sudden they were taken away, but all of a sudden they were brought back. And it had a lot to do with one particular inmate who she was able to make a phone call, called her attorney. Her attorney was, I mean, this guy, he was a shark. And he called Washington. He called the regional office. So as quickly as they took them, they returned them a few weeks later. Now, when they were returned, <laughs> when they were brought back, there was this 
kind of like label that was put outside of their cubicle that identified them as being gay. Oh, God. What? Yeah. How? What? Like, what did it say? I don't recall exactly. But I remember that you would walk by and you would see it. So they were labeled. Whoa. They were they were tagged. Whoa. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. That was a great question, babe. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. So curious because you mentioned this in the last part of this series. I don't know how you didn't fight Griselda when you walked in and saw her in your cell. I don't know how you didn't fight her when she handed you a blanket. I probably would have strangled her with that blanket. Like, how dare you? The irony of all things. I know that your relationship with her in there was not one where you held her accountable for her actions. You took a very different road. Can you can you share with us why? How? What sure. made you feel that way? Why did you not how did how did how did you manage not to direct your anger at her yeah so we have to take into account that i'm a huge advocate of forgiveness and i truly believe that in order for us to heal we need to forgive doesn't mean you need to forget forgiveness does not mean that what you did was right but forgiveness is really about More you, for you for you for the individual this this was ne- this is necessary in order for us to really heal and come to terms I had done some work prior to going to prison. I worked on myself and I worked on forgiving her and forgiving this experience. So when I was in prison and I did not think I was going to be serving time with her, I will tell you, that was a, that was a gift from the universe because it truly was it. Well, think about it. It put me in a situation where I had to face it. I had to walk my talk. Yeah. I had spent my whole life telling people why they needed to forgive their abusers, why they needed to forgive people in order to move on. And here I am with this individual that was part of this entire story. Yeah. Okay, so when you first saw her for that first time, you had already forgiven her. Yes, I had already worked on forgiving, forgiving her. I hadn't forgiven God. (laughs) I hadn't forgiven my spiritual beliefs as to why I was going to prison. But I can guarantee you that I had no anger in my heart towards her whatsoever. So much so that did you have conversations with her? I not only had conversations, I had breakfast, lunch, dinner. We had okay, multiple no, conversations. No, girl. Of course. What do, you even, what do you even talk about? Hi, good morning. How Thanks again for ruining my no. life. Oh, everyday conversations. So you never spoke about it. From that time that we spoke about last time that you were calling her and calling her and she called you and said, hey, get out of the apartment. You and never she had asked no her, why did you do this? No. How not? How? Not at all. How? No. One time though, she, she came up to me and my friend who was with me, she, she was the title company whom I mentioned yeah. uh, that she had nothing to do with this as well. And she said, oh, the two people that shouldn't be here, if there's, there's two people here that shouldn't be here, it's definitely you girls. But how could you not? I just Again, I want to understand. Perfect moment to pop her in the mouth. Forget about <laughs> violence because I really don't think that that's the option. No, but, but I'm trying to understand how somebody in your position, how do you not say, mommy, whatever, even if you forgive her, right? Listen, I, you know, whatever it is that ended you up here, I forgive you. However, what, why, why did you do this? I wasn't asking, I didn't feel compelled to ask her those questions. I was asking the universe, show me, show me why I'm here. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you something out of the entire time that I was there, 
I probably spent 80% of the time asking the universe to show me. Show yeah. me. Show me why I'm here. Because you didn't think, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you thought maybe perhaps, okay, these are her life choices. I ended up here as a result. But in the grand scheme of things, it was a big part of your life. And she maybe was not, you didn't associate it with her. I never associated it with her. I well, never put. I would have. I never saw her as a culprit. <laughs> yeah. I did not. Even though they called her mastermind in the case. I never saw her as a culprit. I saw her as a very important piece of this puzzle. And let me ask you, have you gotten those answers from the universe this day? <sighs> Absolutely. I and am certain that I have. I, I feel that she was an instrument. Had it not been for her, I would have never had the opportunity to have been humbled at the level that I was humbled. <sighs> to really get to experience what that world in there was like. To... to Try to learn from a different perspective. What did you learn? I learned so many things aside from what I learned from the from the system, which is you know just there, there's just so much about the system that that is still upsetting to me today, yeah. especially when it comes to women being incarcerated and and there's a real common factor amongst those women, and that's a mental health problem. Huh. A lot of the women there, unlike myself, these are women who have gone through traumas, abuse. Of all kinds, their entire life. These are women who have experienced poverty, women who don't have education. And for one reason or another, they have found themselves within the system. So that common denominator is there. And we know that we have a mental health problem in America that is not addressed. We talk about it. Yeah. May, as a matter of fact, is Mental Health Month. And we're trying to bring a lot of awareness around that subject. But these are people that have real problems. These are issues that they're not being supported. They're not, they're not, there's not enough resources are for therapy them. therapy in prison? Just in general. No, but I'm saying, is Look, there therapy in prison? There is. It's very minimal. And I would say it's very lacking. <laughs> extremely deficient uh it's a, a very deficient system when it comes to the mental health system yeah we don't rehabilitate our population no it's not meant to rehabilitate them but it's punishment it's, it make well, and we know that doesn't work right like what is this the med medieval ages with a costume on it like then we're surprised when people enter the system more than once, because that's a there's a big statistic for that. Right? There is. There's actually a 53 percent within the first three years of being released from prison. There is a 53 percent chance that you will return to prison. Wow. There's also no resources there for are the transition out of mm. prison. There are none. You you go to a halfway house the majority of the time. And you stay at this halfway house, which is really more of an extension of prison than anything else. And this is a nonprofit organization that pretty much houses you. And during that time, you're supposed to look for a job. You're supposed to find a place to live. Why or, aren't you allowed to live at home? Well, you can after a period of time. You have to go through a certain program. It's a certain programming that they give you, which is, again, a very deficient, very lacking of resources, real resources. There's people who are, are released into these halfway houses who have not, never seen a computer in their lives. Right, because if you They've leave been in prison for 10, for 20 years. 20 years, right? Wow. I mean, especially right now with how much and how quickly the world has been changing in terms of technology. I want to I wanna get to... Is there anything else that you wanted to share about your time in prison? I would say that prison has two problems. It has two problems. It's a people problem 
in a systemic problem. It's a, there's a lot of misconceptions. And I know that we discussed earlier how we generalize people who go to prison. For me, it's really important to amplify the voices of both women and men who've been to prison. Have you experienced some of that uh, generalization? Because, you know, as we see in the movies, um, most most criminals don't look like you. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you had any experiences with that? To your point, you're absolutely right. In the movies, most criminals don't look like me. But in real life, they actually do. Yeah. They actually do. I love sharing positive tips with my listeners on everything from health challenges to relationship troubles. Because life happens, baby, but you got this. Hi there. I'm Honey German, and I know we can all use some positive energy these days. That's why I make sure to empower my community, because a bit of motivation and support can go a long way. And luckily, we have State Farm to support us. Like when you talk to a State Farm agent to choose the coverage you need, and they have the options to protect the things you value most. It's the perfect positive tip you need. State Farm is also a big supporter of the My Cultura Podcast Network, where we as podcast hosts get to share our experiences and stories. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I recently attended a charity event. It's a nonprofit organization that supports formerly incarcerated women. Oh, incredible, circle. incredible uh, nonprofit provides them with entrepreneurship, leadership skills, all of the necessary things that they're going to need. Because after all, once you're labeled felon, and that's a whole other thing. Remember, I'm a felon. Right. I have a felony conviction. Yeah for a white collar crime, but felony also applies to murder, wow. drugs. I mean, all things across right. the board. So there's no real distinction, especially when you're applying for a job per se. Yeah, it's just a felony. And they ask you in the job application, do you have a felony? And you check that off. You're not supposed to discriminate someone from a job opportunity, but the reality is that 
those unconscious biases are there. Yeah. yeah. They're there. Those microaggressions are there. Yeah. It's very normal. So I went to this charity event and I was in conversation with one of the women that were attending this event. And she's telling me about her experience as a volunteer. And she's telling me how she's worked with one of the formerly incarcerated women from the organization. And what an incredible experience she had. It was just so awakening to her. And she's like, you know, these women are actually really great women. They're amazing women. These are great women. And I'm just listening to her, giving her the opportunity to share her experience. And she tells me, you know, these are not like, you know, what one would think. Bad women, delinquent women. Some of these are really phenomenal women. They're mothers, they're sisters. They're women that really want to get back into society. I have so much admiration for them. And she, <laughs> and she tells me, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to speak to any of those women. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Foot in mouth. You're like, you're speaking to one of them right now. So it's, uh, what did you say? So I said, actually, <laughs> yes, I, um, I'm very familiar. <laughs> because I myself, I am, a, I am a felon. And I was formerly incarcerated back in 2012. Whoa. And I wish I wish I would have had a camera. I wish there would have been a camera somewhere just mm. to capture her her facial expression. This woman literally physically stepped back. Ooh. She looked at me from my shoes wow. all the way up to my hair. And wow. I will say Judged I looked you. very nice. It, <laughs> I was at a charity event. I wanted to look nice. I felt good that day. And she said, What? No way. Oh, oh my God, man. like the way to drive the dagger in further. I have to tell you, I was pained by that reaction. Of course. I was pained because I felt um, it was unfair. It is. Imagine. You were judged. And no, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about you. It wasn't about me. I kept thinking about the many women. Right. All yeah. of you. All of us, right? We're, we're community. And, and it hurt me. That because, because I may have some skills that maybe they don't have, or because I look a certain way, yeah. that there's no one can really identify me as you haven't been to prison. I mean, look at you. Yeah. That hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. That hurt me a lot. As a matter of fact. I'm of sorry. course. That's terrible. So... Walk us through your last day there. What was that like? Bittersweet. It was painful. It was bittersweet. I wanted to have a smile in my, in my face for my friends. I, there was, it was very celebratory. Uh, they made me a, like, a last dinner. Last Aww. dinner. Uh, going away. But it was very painful. Because for me, I wanted to take them with me. Yeah. I remember the evening before my last day there. And I didn't sleep. I felt an enormous amount of guilt. I felt that why me and not them? Why am I so lucky that I'm leaving this place? There's women here that still have years, years, lifetimes, lifetimes. And so it was very bittersweet. There was a sense of, Oh my God, I'm being released. But there was also this, Oh my God, why can't I bring them with me? What happens to them? Yeah. Why me, not them? And you know, it's hard to stay in touch. Survivor guilt. Yeah. If I can, it was survivor's yeah, guilt. I carried that with me for a very long time. I have to say, even still today, I look back and, and I think that that's why I feel this need to educate and bring information to people because I too was 
ignorant to all of this. And it was so important for me to, to be able to continue to share, not my story, but really to amplify their voices more than anything else. There's so many people out there who are abandoned by their families. Like you have a very, you were very fortunate. I was fortunate. Even though, you know, you suffered so much, you had resources, you know, in comparison to these 30 year sentences, you had a short sentence, you had family that was waiting for you. So I would love to hear, because in my life, I've tried to adopt a lot about like turning pain into purpose you know, for whatever reason that may have entered your life. And I've known you to be somebody who has really, you know, put your experience into action for other people. And that's one of the biggest reasons why we have you here today, because I also want to know, you know, for those who are listening or for those perhaps who have been in this situation or perhaps for those who don't have anybody waiting for him, for them on the outside or aren't able to get out, um, you know, what is your advice? What, what can we do? Like, what have you taken away that you can share with people that are not in your perspective? Perhaps, you know, that woman that took a step back from you, you know, what do you wish that she could hear to make her understand why we're having such an important conversation today? I think first and foremost, we, we need to stop judging each other. We live in a, within a society where we're constantly judging. We judge people because of the color of their skin, because of their sexual preference, because of their success level. And I think that's where we need to start. We need to stop judging. I think we need to humble ourselves and remember that we all share a common ground, that my suffering is your suffering, that collectively whatever happens to someone will in fact impact you. Maybe not directly, maybe indirectly, but there's no such thing as this separation or this divide that we've created, this notion. No man is an island. No man is an island. And when it yeah. comes to people who are either in the system, have been in the system, or as we know because of the statistics, will probably be in the system, I think that we need to be open to the possibility that not everything you read is real in social media, right? <laughs> or in the or media. Anywhere. Or anywhere. I mean, after all, if you read my story, I'm part of a $40 million crime. And we've right. just had an opportunity to really share the raw moments, having gone from having a life where we lived very comfortably to everything being taken from us, everything was gone. And then the rebuild of that, that rebirth process. Mm. I think judgment is a, a big part of this. And we need to stop marginalizing people discriminating people because of their history or their past or what they've gone through. Yeah. And speaking of, since your release, have you ever crossed paths with Griselda again in any capacity? I have not. There's one thing that I also learned. Um, I don't know if you remember the phrase. Is, is it queen for a day? Is that what it is? Yes. What is it when you can buy cases? Yes. That's a whole other wait, wait, wait. thing. What do you mean by cases? You can. There, there is also an opportunity where you can actually, for a certain amount of money, you can purchase a case, a case that's being uh, under investigation. Like an somebody's ongoing case? case? A ga right. Like a file? And, like a file and study the file and be a witness to that crime. 
And that also reduces your reduces sex. Your oh, my God. Wait, wait. The, is this what Griselda did? But wouldn't that be a lie? How can you be a witness if you weren't there? Yeah, well. And was, that's legal. That is absolutely legal. Wow. You go on something called a writ. And that means that you now leave wherever you're serving your time and you're transferred over to whatever city this Whoa. case took place. And now you testify, you have all these different interviews. And how are you not going to do everything that you can do for your life and your family? And then just like you said, even that action is influencing whosoever case that that is and their yeah. you know, future and their family. It is just a web of destruction and lies. <laughs> yeah. It's an wow. interesting system. And that's why I think it's so important that we understand, I think, a level of education, of understanding, of knowledge, and, and conversations like these. You're doing powerful work, Mom. I'm very proud of you. Way to turn. We're just starting. Gina. I would ask you to do another song, but honestly, um, no, I think you covered it last time. How's that? Oh, now she's I beatboxing. I practice. All right, show us what you got. Why do you, you sound like Donald Duck? <laughs> Thank you, girls. All right, and for those of you out there who have joined us for this epic two-part series, One Meteor Strike, the reason why we called it that is because at any moment in your life, you think that everything's under control and you're good, but there are obstacles all around you in many forms that can come and intervene and disrupt your life. Yeah. And the important thing is how you go through it, how you recover from it, and in turn, what you do as a result of it. So yes. thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us, everyone out there. And we'll see you next week on In Our Own World. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. This is a Moonflower production in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts, visit the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, Honey German, and I know life happens. But trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.